This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly sermon podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's sermon. do something a little different than that. I'm just going to have the singers and a, and a guitar, and we're going to encourage you this morning that as, um, as we sing, uh, that, uh, that you would be able to humble yourself before God as we sing, as we fall on our knees to get back on our feet again. We can meet God when we're on our knees. And so I encourage you this morning to lift our voice, your voices to heaven this morning. And sing with us. Will you sing with me? Healer, heal me. Healer, heal me. Savior, save me. Sure. 
God, we cry for you to speak to us this morning. And God, as we humble our hearts, I pray that your message would be spoken into our hearts, God, that we wouldn't get in the way of it. God, that you would be able to heal us, save us, change us, love us. That is our prayer this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we are in the midst of a series called Pursuing Spiritual Excellence. And it's been about trying to figure out the spiritual life that we're living, this call to respond to God, a call to respond to Jesus, and to align ourselves with His teaching in Scripture so that we understand how we can best position ourselves to engage with God, receive the forgiveness of God and the blessing of God. And so to do this, to help us in this journey, we've been going through the book of Daniel. And Daniel is, is a great book. It's a book in the Old Testament. And probably of all the Old Testament characters, there is a, here is a man who just walks in spiritual excellence, pursuing God wholeheartedly, consistently. And he's been a great example to teach us what it means and what we can apply to our life to know God better and respond to God better. Last week, we talked about truth and the importance of truth in our life, allowing the truth to speak to us, for us to have to speak the truth in love when we find ourselves in difficult situations, as Daniel did a number of times. And as I already mentioned today, we're talking about courage, how to walk in the courage to respond to the call of God in the situations that he puts us in. One of the things we get to do here that I think is one of my funnest things to do every once in a while is we invite somebody from the congregation, one of our members, to come and share their testimony, to share with you what God has been doing in their life. And uh, so this morning, we've invited Shane to come and to talk with you and how God has been using these principles of truth and courage in his life. And Shane is usually behind the scenes. He works in the children's ministry watching the little kids on Sunday mornings, and he helps lead the, uh, the finance team here, uh, one of our financial stewards at New Life. And so you are going to be blessed. So let's welcome Shane this morning. Good morning. Am I on? Can you hear me? Okay, good. Uh, good morning. Um, I had lunch with Pastor Ron a, a while back, and he, uh, he was describing for me the, uh, the series that he was putting together about Daniel and uh, Daniel's interaction with King Nebuchadnezzar and the need to, to say things that weren't popular, to uh, uh, say things that weren't politically correct, and uh, that some of those things might... Uh, in Daniel's, from Daniel's perspective, might have negative ramifications, maybe even uh, you know, be killed or, or be banished or, or uh, some kind of a, a negative consequence for saying what needed to be said. And uh, Pastor Ron told me that it reminded him of some of the things that I went through a couple of years ago and uh, asked that I get up here and, and, uh, and give a testimony about that. And uh, I agreed to do that, and so that's why I'm here. Um, on my way home, I recall thinking about things that I could say, cute little uh, jokes or anecdotes or uh, things that I could say that might make it a little more interesting. And uh, people that know me uh, closely uh, know that my favorite movie is The Wizard of Oz. And uh, one of my favorite all-time characters is the uh, Cowardly Lion. And who better to talk about courage than the Cowardly Lion, right? Uh, with a famous speech that he gave. So I was thinking about that all the way home and uh, got home and I was telling my family that I was going to get up and, and give my testimony and uh, they asked what the, the subject matter was and I said courage. My 
20-year-old daughter looked me square in the eye and said, Dad, if you get up and do that cowardly lion thing, I'll never show my face at church again. So, so I'll spare you all the uh, uh, courage uh, of that speech. Um, at the same time, though, I think it's, it's good to, to look a little bit at, at the cowardly lion character. Uh, this is multiphobic character that has difficulty in that he's afraid of his own shadow even. Uh, but at the end of the day, he decides that in spite of all these fears that he has, he's going to uh, help Dorothy get home to Kansas in spite of uh, all the dangers that the Wicked Witch of the West is going to impose upon him. So uh, I think it gives us a very good outlook as to what courage really is. Courage is not the absence of fear, but it is the uh, decision to move forward in spite of those fears and do what it is that you need to do. So that gives a little bit of background on, on maybe... Uh, uh, the type of uh, the character of the courage that I have sometimes uh, uh, kind of inter- interspersed with the, the, the fears of the cowardly lion whose famous uh, speech was he said all the brave things that he was going to do and then he said there's one last thing that I want you guys to do for me and that's talk me out of it right so anyway with that backdrop I'll give you a, 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 a we'll rewind about eight years and I'll give you a little indication of, of, of uh, something that happened to me I was a, a, a partner in a CPA firm uh, doing very well, um, but at the same time, I heard about all these technology companies, all this going on, these technology companies uh, doing great things, going public, making lots of money, doing really exciting things. And I started to feel like the world was kind of passing me by, and uh, I did have a, a, one of my clients was a technology company, and in fact, they were fairly close to home, and in fact, they were lo- looking for a chief financial officer. So Everything seemed to be kind of lining up, and I decided to make a switch. So I abandoned my, my, my practice and went to work for them as their chief financial officer. Bad timing, really bad timing. All of a sudden, the tech bubble burst, and, uh, and then on top of that, 9-11 happened. So this darling little company that had aspirations of going public and doing all kinds of, of wonderful things was now a company that was probably going to go bankrupt, that wasn't going to make it. And here I was, I'd given up my practice to go there, and uh, somehow, some way, I had to figure out a way to help this company survive. I'll never forget, I would come in, we had uh, payroll every other week, and I would come in uh, every, uh, the Monday before payroll, and I'd have essentially 125 people to pay, and I'd have to find $350,000 from somewhere, and usually I was starting at zero. And... Uh, no help, couldn't talk to anybody about it because the minute you know, the employees think that you're not going to have enough money to pay, they're, they're gone, and then you've got no company left. So, so there was a lot of pressure, a lot of uh, uh, hard work to get that done. The good news is that for three years, we got that done. Everybody got paid. The company survived. And then uh, we got a venture capital company that was interested in us, and they ended up, after I gave them a business plan, and uh, they liked the idea, they put $8 million into us, and the company was saved. So I was called up in front of uh, the uh, Christmas party and, and uh, given the title of hero, save the company, uh, my, my 15 seconds of fame. And I was later to realize that 15 seconds was really about how long it was going to last. Um, we uh, had a horrible first quarter, 2004, and uh, then I had to put together financial statements to give to our new venture capital partner to describe how horribly we had done. So I put those together and put them on the CEO's desk. And CEO looked up at me and he goes, these are going to have to change. He goes, I can't possibly give these to the venture capitalists. He goes, they'll you know, ride me out of town. I, I, I can't give them this message. And uh, 
So he started making pencil changes and gave it back to me, and then I had a de decision to make. I had to decide whether I was going to let him manipulate me and allow me to do something that was unethical, or, you know, in, at which time I'd maintain my hero status, or, uh, or I could, I could uh, uh, resist and potentially put myself up to be terminated. Uh, so I had, I had a, a very difficult decision to make, much like what Daniel went through in his dealings with King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, I made the right decision, of course. Um, uh, accountants can't fudge the numbers. You can't cook the books. Uh, you have to do the right thing, which I did, but then my worst fear came true. Uh, three weeks later, I was called into the CEO's office. I was given 15 minutes to grab my personal things and leave. I was terminated for no reason given. So there I was uh, with the unenviable task of going home and explaining to my wife that... Uh, Yes, I had given up my practice for this new upstart company, and oh, yeah, they just fired me, and I don't know how I'm going to support you and the kids. So that was uh, a horrible day for me, uh, and there's, most men can recognize that, uh, that not having the ability to, to uh, support your family is about the worst feeling you'll ever have. Um, but fortunately, God had gone way ahead of me and, and had uh, well in advance uh, found a, a business concept that was going to work for me. Uh, I started my own business just about two months after that, and it has gone exceedingly and abundantly well, uh, and more than made up for the income that I lost. So I'm here to say that uh, there's a happy ending, and also to say that um, you know sometimes in life, like Daniel, you have to say what's unpopular, what's uh, uh, not politically correct, but uh, if it's the truth, and if it's something that needs to be said and you say it, uh, God will honor that and God will bless you. Thank you. You know, one of the cool side notes on that is Shane has been very uh, intimately equated or involved with uh, getting our, helping us to get our new facility, our new building. And he never would have had the time to put all the energy and everything in. And so it's just neat to see how God had worked it all out and how we've been blessed through that. Well, as most of you know, Pastor Ron, the senior pastor here, is uh, still on sabbatical. And uh, there's a much downside to that from my perspective because it makes me work a whole lot harder. But uh, one of the good things about Ron being gone is that we get to hear some different people speak from within our, our congregation. And uh, today you guys are in for a treat. Uh, Kevin Finkbeiner, who's actually spoken here before, he is heads up the InterVarsity Ministry at Sonoma State, and uh, we love him dearly, and so we've invited him back to come speak with a lot of courage to all you folks and to share with us. So uh, welcome Kevin here with us. Hey, thanks. That's, uh, that's encouraging. Guys, thank you. Uh, good morning, friends. It's good to be here today with you. How are you doing? Are we okay? Yes? Good, good. I, I realize that in a room this size, some of us are doing great. We're on cloud nine. Some of us are maybe coming off of a hard week. Uh, and we're probably everywhere in between. So wherever you are, I invite you to, to be there, to own what's going on and to experience God. I think this is probably the best place for us because we are experiencing God on the next step of our journey together. And I'm humbled and excited that you guys have allowed me to share for a few minutes uh, out of the book of Daniel. I want to start by praying and inviting God to lead us. So join me as we pray. 
Holy Spirit, we recognize your place to lead and to guide us. God, we realize that uh, if you don't move in this time, then it's nothing. But we trust that you do move, that you will move, that as we gather together, you are speaking to us as a community of faith and that you are speaking to us individually. So God, whatever it is that each of us needs to hear, would you um, make that abundantly clear to us today? Would you slow us down so that we don't miss you in the beauty of this morning? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite stories, uh, movies growing up, was a movie with Jennifer Grey and Patrick Swayze. And it wasn't Dirty Dancing, although my mom raised me on musicals, and so I enjoyed Dirty Dancing. Uh, that's okay. It's, it's, it's okay. She, uh, she's in the back, by the way, so you can thank her for... Uh, the musicals. It was wonderful growing up. But this movie was not Dirty Dancing. This movie was Red Dawn. How many of you have seen Red Dawn? Yes, Red Dawn. Red Dawn is a movie that takes place in the Midwest, and basically some invading forces from outside of the United States come in and they decide to take over the United States, starting in this small Midwestern town. And the whole town folds. Basically, they lay down, except for a group of about 10 high schoolers. And these high schoolers grab their 22s and their shotguns, and they go up into the mountains, and they fight off the invading forces that have tanks and helicopters and things like that until the military can come in. Yes, Patrick Swayze is the leader of this group, and he's, uh, he's this like big football player. And as a kid, I thought I would be a big football player someday. The dream never happened. But nevertheless, I experienced my, one of my first pictures of courage from this movie. It was like, wow fighting off the invading forces, saving Jennifer Grey. This is awesome. This is great. I want to spend some time talking about courage because I think that, potentially like me, um, we can have a fairly narrow picture of courage, of what courage is. Sometimes we think that courage is being physically strong and, and, and having acts of strength. And if you are a big, strong person, hey, praise God for you, that's great. Uh, but a lot of us aren't that way. Uh, We think that courage is fighting off a hundred bad guys to save Jennifer from the invading forces. And uh, that's just not always the picture of courage that we see in the Bible. That's for sure one picture of courage, but I think that uh, God knows us. I believe that God created us uniquely and that in our uniqueness, God invites us to find courage in unique ways. God invites us to live courageously. So we're going to spend some time in Daniel chapter 6 because God gives us a picture of courage in Daniel chapter 6. And I invite you, this is, it's a story. It's a story we see in the Bible. It's a story about a man named Daniel. We've been journeying with him uh, for about 75 years of his life. He's in his 80s now. We came into the story when he was a teenager. Uh, But it's not just a story about Daniel. Uh, Whenever we read the scripture, we realize that it's actually a story about us. This is the story that God is inviting us into. So as we open up the scripture today, I invite you not just to think of words on a page or words on a screen, but ask God, what is it that he has for you in this story? Where is your place in the story of Daniel? If you have a Bible, you can crack it open to Daniel chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. A little background, like I said, Daniel's in his 80s now. He's been following God his entire life, and that's worth remembering uh, Daniel is one of the few Bible characters that uh, nothing has ever said bad about him. He doesn't make a mistake that we see. Uh, Daniel's the guy who's been following God courageously, living an upright life for his entire life. He's been living in Babylon, uh, and he's a Jewish man, and the Babylonians and the Jews had very different styles of life. We're going to talk about that. So he's been living his whole life under Babylonian rule, which would have been different counter to pretty much everything that he knew. 
Last week in Daniel chapter 5, this guy named Belshazzar was the king, and he died, and this new king Darius is coming into the picture, and we'll see where he takes us beginning in Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they should be in charge of the whole kingdom, and over them three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them, that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and the satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Have you ever been around someone who's had a deep connection with God? And when you're around this kind of person, you just know that they're experiencing God in a real way. These people are contagious. We want to come around them more because as we are around these types of people, we find ourselves wanting to experience God more. We find ourselves getting closer to God. Daniel is one of these guys. Verse 3 says that uh, Daniel had an extraordinary spirit. In the time between the writing of the Old Testament and the New Testament, this word spirit became known as Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God. So when verse 3 says that Daniel had an extraordinary spirit, what it's saying is he had the Spirit of God moving in him. He had the Spirit of God working through him. And the king saw that. And so the king decided to put Daniel over everything. This exile, this man who was not uh, born as a Babylonian citizen, was now becoming king over everything. And we're going to see what happens in verse 4. Then the commissioners and the satraps began trying to find ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs, but they could not find any ground of accusation or evidence of corruption inasmuch as he was faithful and no negligence or corruption was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground of accusation against Daniel unless we find it against him in regard to the law of God. Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows, King Darius, live forever." All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the high officials, the governors, have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may, be, so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document that is the injunction. The idea behind this document— uh, it was believed in, in Persian law that uh, once a king made a decree, because the king was believed to be a god, that that was set in stone, that that couldn't be changed. Now, uh, in theory, the, god, the king could change the law because he was god, but that would mean losing face in front of the group. So there's this law that the Medes and the Persians had that anything that the king says, anything he writes down, can never be changed. And this is where the story gets exciting for us. You see, the commissioners and the satraps, they were like modern-day government officials, And Daniel's a foreigner who's come up amongst them, and Daniel is now taking over what was once theirs. He's taking their power, and they're jealous. He's taking their prestige, and they're angry. So they say, we need to find something against him. But Daniel is an upright man. Daniel has the Spirit of God, this amazing Spirit flowing through him, and he's just. He's true. He's right. As followers, it's our invitation from God to allow the Spirit to work in us that we could live uprightly, that we could be just that we would have purity so that when people look at us, they won't be able to find anything against us. So the Babylonians had to figure out another way to get rid of Daniel, ultimately to try to kill him. Now the Babylonians had a number of different gods. We'll call them lowercase g gods. They were idols. They were all these different things that they would make. They had a sun god, a moon god. They had a god of the harvest. They even had a goddess of beer and all things beer related. 
which I work with college students, so I understand the goddess of beer. I see the goddess of beer around campus. Uh, it's a unique goddess that uh, does a lot of interesting things to people. So they had these <laughs> gods and goddesses, and for them, it was no big deal to add their king as another god. For them, it was like, sure, why not? Why not have one more god to pray to? Let's mix it up a little bit. Let's pray to the king for a while. But for a Jew, this was huge. The Jews, unlike the Babylonians, believed in one God, capital G God in our Bibles, the only true God. They believed that while these idols were fake and far away, their God was close. Their God was at hand. Their God was the one that answered prayers. Their God was powerful to crush these idols, and their God commanded that they only pray to him. Their God commanded that they only pray to him because he was the only God who could answer, the only God who could deliver. And this left Daniel with a difficult choice. Remember, he's in his 80s. His life is um, in the last chapters. He has lived an upright life with God, and now he's just asked for 30 days to pray to the king, to pray for the government. Does he do it and live out the rest of his days with power, with prestige and comfort, with a nice house? Or does he choose to follow God like he'd been doing for the previous 80-some years and potentially lose everything, potentially lose his life, potentially have things become much, much more difficult? This is the choice that Daniel's faced with. And oftentimes we think that courage is something that we do. We act courageously, and that's true, but courage always begins with a choice. Courage is something that we choose The actions come out of that choice. The choice usually has two main options. We can either choose faith or we can choose fear. Our brother talked about this decision earlier in his testimony. It's not that we have an absence of fear when we're choosing courage, but that we look at the fear and we choose not to live in it. We say, yeah, I'm scared about what's going on, but I'm going to choose faith. And faith walks out even when we're scared. Faith says, I'm going to go in the direction of God. And that's what God invites Daniel into It's not that God calls us not to be afraid. Actually, God knows we're going to be afraid. So 366 times in the Bible, God says, don't fear. Be not afraid. Walk out in faith. That's one for every day of the year and an extra for leap year. So if you get scared on February 29th, don't worry. God has it covered. He's he's got you taken care of. He gave you an extra. He does this because God knows us. God created us. When we're kids, he knows that we're afraid of our shadow. When we're adults, he knows we're afraid about things like money, family, job. But he says, don't sit in this fear. Instead, choose faith. Walk out in faith. For Daniel, choosing faith meant that he was going to have everything change. His life would potentially change. Things would potentially become a lot harder for him. I studied U.S. history in college, and I remember reading about a woman who was faced with a similar decision. It was the 1950s in Alabama. This woman was in her mid-40s, African-American, and there was a law in Alabama that said if a white person wanted your seat on the bus, a black person had to get up and give it to you. Well, she had lived her entire life in the segregated South. She knew these laws, but she knew it was unjust. So one Friday in December, she chose to act courageously. It was Friday afternoon. She's coming home from work. A white man demands her seat, and she refused to get up. She was immediately thrown off the bus, thrown into prison, and sat there for a few days. And that following Monday began what's been called the Montgomery bus boycotts. It's the beginning of the civil rights movement in North America. It's the beginning of this movement towards equality in our country. 
It's the reason that we can sit here as a multi-ethnic community and worship God together rather than having segregated churches. This woman's name was Rosa Parks. Today she's credited as being the one woman who sparked the civil rights movement in our country. Why'd she do it? Not because she wasn't scared. Of course she was scared. To take this stand meant that her family could be hurt or killed. It meant that she would be thrown in jail, that she could be beaten, that she would be ridiculed. But she did it because she knew it was right. She did it because she believed in God. Let's continue on, chapter 6, verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, when he knew the document was signed, he entered his house, and on the roof chamber... He had windows open towards Jerusalem. He continued kneeling on his knees three times a day and praying and giving thanks before his God as he had done previously. It was common for Jews back then to have morning, midday, and evening prayers. It was the three prayers that you would have. And because these Jewish people were in Babylon, although they believed that God was everywhere, they believed that God rested in Jerusalem. And so they would pray with their windows open towards Jerusalem three times a day, praying to their God. And they would do this in the upper room of their house. The upper room was a place where they would have feasts. It was a place where they would house guests. And it was a place where they would go to pray as a community. So when Daniel goes to the upper room, he's choosing to live courageously. Two and a half years ago, I decided that if uh, Maria would have me, I wanted to marry her. She said yes, and now we're married, which is exciting. Don't hold your breath about that part. Uh, But... Um, When I decided to propose, it was December, and I realized uh, this meant some changes. I was promising some things. I was committing some things. I was deciding that regardless of what happened, I was going to try to protect her for the rest of our lives. I was going to try to put her first for the rest of our lives. I knew it also meant that I would have to ask her dad for permission, which was terrifying to me, but I walked out in faith, and that's another story. But we did. We got engaged. We got married. It was exciting Six months after we got engaged, though, we found ourselves in Costa Rica. We were on a mission trip with students within InterVarsity. Some of them are here today. Uh, they survived, which was exciting. <laughs> we're walking down this path. On one side was a forest. On the other side were two men carrying or pulling a young bull on the way to its farm. We were kind of in single-file line. Maria was in the front. I was bringing up the rear. And as we walked past this young bull, it charged our group. And all I remember hearing was Maria scream. Well, I dropped my boots, I kicked off my sandals, and I ran at the bull. Um, Now, you have to understand that I grew up in Southern California with dogs, not with bulls. And so I I, I got to the bull, and I grabbed its little horn, and I kind of jumped on its head, and I yelled, No! No! Bad! Because I assumed that was the universal sign for stop being a bad bull. Bad. The bull had hooked its horn underneath Maria's backpack, and it was just trying to get loose, but it was shaking her back and forth. She was screaming. I was scared. Uh, The bull finally got unhooked. It got away, and being young and arrogant like I was, I threw my hands in the air as if to say, I win. (laughs) The bull then charged me, and I ran in the other direction. Uh, Somewhat humiliated, but glad that Maria was okay. Now, when I ran toward the bull, I was scared, I was scared, but I had made a decision to do everything that I could to protect my wife, and it was time to live out that decision. Daniel 10 says that Daniel knew that the the law had been signed. When he knew the law had been signed, he went up to his room and began to pray as he always had. I think Daniel was scared. He's an 80-some-year-old man, 
and he's taking on the king, but he knew God. He had been following God since he was a child, the God of his parents and his grandparents and his great-grandparents. He knew God. He had made a decision to follow God no matter what, and it was time for Daniel to act. And so he did. He said, whatever happens to me, I'm going to follow my God, and he prayed. And the rest of the story talks about what happens after he prays, beginning in verse 11. Now when these men, being the other political leaders, came by agreement and found Daniel making petitions and supplications before this God, it's not that Daniel was hiding. They knew where to find him. They just went to the upper room and saw him praying. Then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days is to be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered and said, The statement is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which may not be revoked. Then they answered and spoke before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to your injunction, which you signed. But he keeps making a petition three times a day. Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed, and he set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. It's interesting, the king could have actually changed. Most scholars believe that the king could have made a different edict that freed Daniel, but he would have lost face amongst his people. He wouldn't have been seen as the powerful king, potentially not seen as divine. So the king chose fear, whereas Daniel had chosen strength. Verse 16 says this, Then the king gave orders that Daniel, and Daniel was brought in and cast in the lion's den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. And the stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den. In our legal system, uh, someone is innocent until proven guilty, which is a good thing. Uh, But in ancient Babylon, someone was guilty until proven innocent. And the way they did this was by something called innocent by ordeal. The way innocent by ordeal worked was if you were accused of a crime, in this case not praying to the king, you would be put in a situation that would bring you harm. For Daniel, it was being thrown in the lion's den, and you'd be left there for a certain period of time. And if your god, whichever god it was in the Babylonian world, in this case it was capital G God, the one who saves, if your god found you innocent, he would protect you from whatever was trying to harm you. If your god found you guilty, they would open the door the next day and you'd be dead, and that's how they'd know you were guilty. But if you came out unharmed, you'd be found innocent before the people and the accusers would be thrown in and killed in your place. So the king puts Daniel in the lion's den and the last thing he says to him is, may your God protect you. He's invoking this law of innocent by ordeal. He's saying, if your God can protect you, I will find you innocent to the people. And just like that, Daniel goes into a pit. The entrance is shut. And he's left face-to-face in the dark with a lion. It's an interesting twist to our story. We assume if we follow God, then good things will immediately happen. If we choose what is right, all of a sudden God will miraculously make things happen. And yet Daniel is in a pit after following God for his entire life, staring at a lion. Sometimes courage means looking into the dark places in our lives to see the things that God's trying to do. Sometimes, even though we follow God, we take steps of faith, we find ourselves in a pit. We find ourselves alone in the dark corners of our life. Maybe it's when you lay in bed at night or when you go off to work. You find yourself in the dark places, staring at a lion. The lion in your life could be anything. It could be alcohol, depression, anger, 
fear about money, family issues, the loss of a loved one. It could be pretty much anything. And sometimes we wonder, God, where are you? I've been following you, and yet I'm in the dark with a lion. Daniel was dropped in the lion's den. The entrance was sealed, and he was left in the dark. But this doesn't end our story. Let's continue in verse 19. The king arose early at dawn, which was nice of him, uh, and he went and ha- to haste to the lion's den. When the king came near to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angels, and they have shut the mouths of the lions, and the lion has not harmed me, inasmuch as I was found innocent before him. And also towards you, O king, I have committed no crime. The king was very pleased. He gave orders for Daniel to be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury was found on him because he had trusted in God. At this point, he's found innocent by ordeal. And we find out in the the verses we're not going to read that his accusers and their families are thrown in to their death, which is not good for them, but good for Daniel. Uh, So there we are. There are only a handful of miracles in the Old Testament. We, we look at the Old Testament and we focus on the miracles. We see God delivering the people out of Egypt. We see God parting the Red Sea. It's all the things we have in Sunday school. We see God's miracles. But there are only really a handful in the Old Testament, and they almost always come during times of trial, during times of extreme danger, or during times of crisis in the characters' lives. If you're sitting here today and you feel like you're stuck with Daniel in the lion's den, when you look at this story, you feel like, this is where I am. I'm with Daniel in the dark, staring at a lion, maybe God's about to do a miracle. Maybe God wants to do a powerful work. The story tells us that God sent an angel to close the mouths of the lion so that Daniel could come into the light of the day unharmed. If you're battling in the dark with your lions, I believe that God wants to do the same for you. I believe he wants to bring you out of the dark, out of the cave, and into the light unharmed because God is a loving God. God cares about you. Now, it's not all God's responsibility. God gives us things to do. Maybe facing down your lion involves prayer. Maybe it involves confessing something that's been holding you back from experiencing the fullness of God. Maybe it involves counseling or a support group. Maybe it's seeking wisdom from a pastor, a close friend, or a community of faith. It could be all of these things. It could be none of these things, but something totally different. But I think God wants to bring us out of the darkness. If we're courageous enough to stare our lion in the face and say, you do not have power over me, God is holding the mouth of the lion and bringing us into the light. I want to close this morning at the end of Daniel chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. Then Darius, the king, wrote to all the people, peoples, nations, and men of every language who were living in the land, may your peace abound. I make a decree. Remember, these decrees cannot be changed in the law of the Medes and the Persians. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and enduring forever, and his kingdom is one which shall not be destroyed. His dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions." I believe if our community lives courageously, a few things are going to begin to happen, both personally in our lives and as a community of faith. The first thing is 
that people will begin to experience God. The king sends out this edict to all of Babylon, and he says this, Daniel's God is the living God. Daniel's God endures forever. Daniel's God delivers and rescues. Daniel's God is the only God that performs signs and wonders. Are you open to walking courageously with God, even if it might be painful, even if it might be a cost to us? In a world with so much pain, both in the United States and globally, God is inviting us out to live courageously, to not get stuck in the fear of how will I survive, what will happen, but to walk with him into his global community to say, God, how are you going to use me? And that takes courage. But if we can do that, our friends, our family members, our co-workers, our loved ones, people we don't even know yet, will begin to experience the true nature of God. The second thing that I believe will happen if we decide to follow after God courageously is that God will deliver us from the power of the lions in our lives. God will take us out of the pit, out of the darkness, and into the light. This is the story of Daniel chapter 6. It's a story of courage. It takes courage to look inward and to be honest about the dark places that we keep hidden from everyone. It takes courage to walk out in healing, but God is the God who heals and delivers. It's also a story of courage to look outward. It takes courage to say, God, I will follow you no matter what, even if it makes life a little harder for me because I believe that you are doing something in the world. This week, God might be doing something in you to look either inward or outward or both. And I invite you, find your place in Daniel's story. It's not just words on a page. This is our life story. God is inviting us, like Daniel, to follow after him courageously and to see God move in the world. Would you join me as we close in prayer? Holy Spirit, we need you to guide us and to lead us, to be the one that takes us out of the darkness and into the light unharmed. God, I believe that you're doing healing work within each of us. I ask for continued healing. Would you bring around us support groups to continue to nurture that healing and development? Today we say we're not going to have fear about the lions in our lives, but we are going to stand courageously and follow you. And Lord, would you also lead us to places outside of ourselves to serve and to work to see you move in this world. Lord, give us courage to walk out in faith after you, even if it means things might be a little harder for us. Help us to find our place in your story, Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information and past sermons, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.